great conversation with someone who was uh, who may wish to out themselves, and they would be, that's theirs to do. But I forgot to ask if I could, and so I won't out them without their permission. But um, we last week we talked about a whole bunch of things, and in the midst of it, I gave you guys kind of a, sm- a small glimpse, or at least a, you can characterize it however you want, but some glimpse into my own story and my own struggle uh, with anxiety and depression. Happily, I'm able to put that, by and large, for the most part, in the past tense. I mean, of course, everybody gets sad and afraid at some point, but nothing like there's this this two-year period of time that was really just dreadful for me. Um, and that was a, that was as you as you guys all would know from your own painful seasons of life that um, we learn a lot of stuff in the painful seasons. So one of the things that I brought forward from that was that I had a counselor who encouraged me to develop a, what he called a theology of casting. And the idea there that we, we talked about briefly was we were launching out of 1 Peter 5, where Peter says that we should cast our concerns on the Lord because he cares for us, which I believe Peter is drawing from Psalm 55, 25, which basically says the same thing, um, again, that we, that we cast our concerns on him. And in that, in that brief conversation that we had last week, um, one of my observations there was that we... We need to become skilled at kind of unbraiding or untangling just the, the mess of our emotions. And if, all you, if, you, if you've got this, this pile of yuck and you're like, here, Lord, <clears throat> cast this on him, that's probably not going to be as useful to you. It probably won't have as much practical value as if you're able to kind of like start to like unstrand the thing and be like, this is what I'm afraid of or this is what hurts me or this is what this, is what this thing is. It's much easier to cast our concerns to him when we can name him, which is why there's often a, there's a lot of wisdom in the idea that we need to be able to name our griefs. It's hard to name the slop, right? Is this making sense? What did you say? Name it and claim it. Name it and claim it, although that can be dangerous, so we wouldn't necessarily affirm that in the fullness of sense. But yes, name our griefs and claim his, claim his healing is a little bit different from the way that phrase is often used, which is, Lord, I need a Lamborghini <laughs> by faith, you know, right? Just want to be careful. But... Anyway, as, we, as, as, a, as a friend of mine and I were talking about this, um, we were just realizing that that, that's, that can be really difficult. It's hard. How do I do that? And we thought it might be profitable to spend at least another week on the kind of the practical side of how do we do this? If Lord, if you want me to like cast my concerns on you, and, and he does, how do I do that, right? And so uh, I want to create a little bit of space for uh, one of the things that I love about this group is that so much of the wisdom of this group is in the group, right? What we talk about every week. You guys always have great insights. So I want to create a little bit of space for us to talk about, um, for you to talk about and to share what has helped you. I'm, I'm going to guess that many of us have struggled with some season of anxiety and depression. And in a way that I, that I honestly don't, doesn't resonate with me, many of you may have sometimes been uh, very private about that or maybe ashamed of that, or that wasn't something that you ever had permission to bring into the light. Um, the reason I don't resonate with that is that I was so miserable, I'd talk to anybody. I'll put on a friggin' billboard. Like, I don't care. What do I, what do I care about privacy when I'm just drowning in sorrow? Like, and so I'm so, I'm, I have such a very, very low pain tolerance that whenever things aren't the way they ought to be, like, what do you want? Name it. I'm, they'll do anything. Let's make it better. And I, I think it must be incredibly hard if you, for whatever reason, if the way that you're wired, even if you've never felt the safety to, like, pursue whatever it's going to take to help you get better, man, I can't imagine. If I had to be, like, if I had a gag order internally or externally, a gag order on my, that season of great pain, I would have been institutionalized. 
And then everybody, everybody would have known anyway, so you know that would have been to no advantage. But I reckon, oh, good Lord. It's dramatic. Don't lean on this. Um, that I recognize that this is not necessarily, for some, some folks, you might be like, sure, I'll talk to anybody. Others of you, it might be like, well, this is a little unsafe. And that's fine. I, I, I honor, respect that. I, if it makes me sad if you don't feel safe, that's, that's a hard place to be. Um, and there have been times that I don't feel safe either. Um, but I want to I offer one more thing just to kind of prime the pump and then open the, open the door for you guys to talk about what has helped you. How do you really do this thing of casting your griefs? What, what has helped you to process your sorrow? What practical things have really helped you to get past your fear um, and, to, and to move out on the life? And here's, here, I'll give you one more little, little aphorism from my counselor friend. Tell me if, if this is intuitive to you. It was uh, helpful to me. He said, Tim, you need to talk to yourself more than you listen to yourself. You need to talk to yourself more than you listen to yourself. Okay? Now, tease that out. Because that's a little bit strange. Because you're necessarily doing both concurrently. So what does it mean? What do you guys think? What did he mean when he said, you need to talk to yourself more than you listen to yourself? What do you think that means? Don? I, I think that when you are in a bad place, if you just listen to yourself, you're going to hear only the bad place. Yeah. If you talk, not just with yourself, but more importantly, talk to yourself, you have the ability to change the attitude, to change the mood. That's right. Could you all hear, don't shut, do I repeat that again? Did you get it? You guys are good in the back, right? So there's this phenomena that if you're, if you're listening, because the thing that we're trying to like distance, what, what my counselor is telling me to distance myself from is the act of listening to myself. And I think what's going on there, if I'm listening to myself, what I'm listening to is the automatic tapes. What I'm listening to is the effortless default running that may not be wise or may not be right, but may be unbelievably persuasive. The, the, the thing that struck me the very most and I have a memory of being walking down the street of um, Nassau Street in front of Princeton University, where I where I worked. We out there. I was dinner. I was at dinner with Kelly, walking down the street, and being so so sad, just sorrowful. And the the thing that struck me that I just didn't know, and forgive me for not knowing it till I was forty something, was how incredibly persuasive depression is. I'm right, this is true, it's precisely as bad as you think, and it will never be otherwise. Say that again, Hal? Worse than I thought. Yeah, and it is worse. And, 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 and all these happy people are, around me are just idiots. Like, how do you not know, right? It was incredibly, so my automatic tapes that I was listening to, like, hours a day, I think the listening was, was just, it was this message, it's bad, it's going to get worse, there is no hope. And that... What, what had to happen for me is that had to be, that, that needle had to come off that record, right? It was, it was happening. Okay, a whole bunch of hands. You, I think you were first. Go right ahead. Um, I think part of the problem when you're listening to yourself only is that the fiery darts of the enemy come in our minds. That's what a battlefield is, right? They control us, and we're sometimes so lost in what we're hearing, we're not really thinking about where it's coming from. 
That's right. Whether it's you and the way that you're processing the situation, or it's this guy's from the enemy that's trying to kind of come in and say, oh, but wait, it's even worse than you think. Yes. And that can be a very dangerous thing. If you're only just listening, you're not really like debating with or confronting what you're, what you're hearing or you're playing around in your mind, then you have no way of really filtering out is this true or is this the enemy trying to. Excellent. Absolutely. So excellent. So, so it's not, not just that I'm listening to myself as if it's me all alone in a room, right? But I'm under the influence, right? So there are, in the language of Ephesians 6, the fiery darts of the enemy. And uh, another phrase that kind of came out of this season of my life that I've learned and is so absolutely true is that fear is a liar, right? And the power of Satan isn't a lie. What, what, what he's really good at, his brilliance is all wrapped around deception, Right? Jesus calls him a liar and the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language. All of this, all of this um, imagery that, that it's a lie, but darn it, I can, it's a persuasive lie. Right? And especially if, if, you're hitting, if you're getting hit by dart after dart after dart, thought after thought after thought, it's, um, man, it has a massive impact. You know? Give me a chance. Kelly first? Or next? This was implied, but just to say it explicitly, um, you have to be careful what you speak to yourself, too, um, and make sure that it's... I mean, the counterattack is to try and speak truth to yourself and go into the Word of God. And Psalm 42, 5 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. And that's an example of um, speaking to yourself. You know, the psalmists... I love to go to the psalms because the psalmists often will make declarations of faith because they are speaking to themselves. That's exactly. Not necessarily that this is great. It's <clears throat> you can hear them training themselves to reorient their perspective. That's right. It can be an intentional effort to grab the narrative. I'm sorry. And, and just make sure what you're speaking to yourself is is spirit-filled or truth-filled. Right. Because I can, I can externally speak the same tape I'm listening to. Yes. If I want to Yes, that's right, and, and, and often do. And so when we say, uh, or when he said to me, you need to talk to yourself instead of listening to yourself, you're absolutely right. That there is the, the implication is change the tape, right? Take the microphone and, and, and replace it with, with, with a different message for sure. Catherine? Um, I, I agree with Kelly exactly. <clears throat> when he said talk to yourself, the phrase immediately, tell yourself the truth. And, this, and I've done a lot of that through all kinds of depression and anxiety and fear and rejection and just that healing process that as, as Christ, as you walk with him, the scripture that, that, I, that guided me a lot was, was take every thought captive and bring it under the lordship of Jesus Christ yeah. and also be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so I had to let go of my own efforts because God says, be transformed. Yeah. So my job was to renew my mind. And so there was a book called Telling Yourself the Truth. And um, I believe it was a secular book. And then a Christian book came out that said, the title was Rational Self-Analysis. Or it's either, either or. But there were two books, and then we did a lot of this in the church I first got saved in. And we would learn how to do a rational self-analysis. 
where you draw the line down the middle of the page, and over here, a triggering event, and then you write the feeling, and then you start, why am I feeling this way? You write down anything, even if it's garbage, write it down, write it down. And then on the other side of the line, the same triggering event, then you write down what the truth is. So it, the Psalms, I just, I lived in them a lot. Yeah. And so that just got me deeper and deeper into the Word of God, which was transforming me. And I still do that today. Yeah. And just write them down. And then, down at the bottom, now how do you feel? And it was like, oh, I feel joy, I feel hopeful. And then I would fold it in half un and only uncover the truth side and read it over and over and mm -hmm. over yeah. and over again. Okay, there's, so, uh, there's a, so many things in there, Catherine, that you're stealing my thunder on, so please stop doing that. <laughs> no, I mean, so much wisdom in there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to unpack some of those things. There's absolutely, and I'm so glad that those, those processes have been helpful to you because uh, maybe it's slightly different kind of iterations of it, very much the same things that have been helpful to me and I think would be helpful to others. So I really, um, I very much appreciate you kind of walking through and your kind of transparency on how that's been meaningful to you. That stuff's gold. And I'll, I'll kind of recap in a little bit. There are other hands. Sarah Lynn? I was just going to echo Kelly's comment in, in yours to Ephesians 6. Go a little bit up. Uh, I was just going to echo Kelly's comments and Catherine and yours with Ephesians 6. And I think that's, you know, when, the, when it talks about putting on the armor of God and that belt of truth is the first piece you put on after you layer all the other mm -hmm. stuff. That was all. Yeah, Ephesians, so all of this, this spiritual warfare language that Paul uses in Ephesians 6, which by the way, he's totally ripping off Isaiah, in case you're curious where that comes from, but is it's the, the belt of truth, right? And all these things we need to know the truth. However, I will say this, a couple, couple things to click on. I love truth, yum, 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 my favorite thing in the whole world, truth, truth, truth. However, <laughs> it was really wise of Catherine to fold the paper in half and flip it over because sometimes we need to be selective about the truths that we confront ourselves with, okay? Everything, is, we, you need to tell the truth, but you don't always, you don't always need to tell the whole truth, right? The whole truth is, includes the fact that there's all kinds of misery in the world, okay? And sometimes you don't need to be confronted with that. Like my wife, she reads, how many books do you, I mean, Kelly reads books and books and books and books and books. And uh, she loves to read fiction. And do you know what every fiction book has in common? Fictional. They're dreadfully sad. Have you noticed this? Like, a good story has to have drama. And she's constantly reading these books, and I'm like, how do you have such a surplus of joy that you can take the hit from all of these wretched, miserable stories, right? And, and I, I really, especially in that season, I'm like, the la there's no way I'm going to read this book about this little boy who dies. And I was, I'm like, dear God, like... No, I'm not going to do that, right? And in a similar way, there's a lot of stuff in the world that, was, that, that just is, act, the truth is, it's really painful and dark and difficult and bad. And I don't need to rehearse that right now, right? I know. So there was a, there's a place to fold the page in half, right? Even if there happens to be truths on that, on that side um, that, we, we, that we need to be careful of, right? So yes, 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 I will never speak against the truth. But sometimes it's a good idea to look away for a little while. Make sense? Okay, a couple other hands. Yeah, Lily. Uh, just on that truth part, if, if you tell the truth without love, it is not God's whole truth. Which is why when, even when you're supposed to be saying hard things or whatever, don't let any corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Only that, which is good for building up this fixed occasion, but it may give grace. So even when you are speaking the truth, if it's 
not giving grace, hold your tongue. Yeah. And so Jesus comes from the Father, full of grace. This is John 1. Jesus comes from the Father, full of grace and truth. And these two things are meant to be a, a kit. Right? And sometimes we'll err all grace, no truth. Sometimes we'll err all truth, no grace. And sometimes we don't actually know. I, I recently spoke somewhere about grace and truth at a, at a camp's ministry. And uh, it was just funny because uh, I, was, I was asking the staff, like, you know, what are some of the needs? Whenever I'm speaking somewhere, I always want to try to be like, is this going to be pertinent to you people? Like, does this matter? And um, her sense was that in this community, it's like all grace, no truth. And nobody's, nobody's willing to kind of like yield to Bible. And it's just, just whatever. And so I presented the, the question of the, to the group. I didn't say that. I just said, you know, so, hey, grace and truth, which way do you think you guys lean? And they're like, ah, it's all truth, no grace. And I'm like, well, somebody's not seeing this right, you know. And I'm, smart money's that the staff know what's going on more than the students did, right? Which is why we need, okay, oh, this is one thing I want to say, Catherine. Um, that work, I'm going I'm to advocate in a minute for a, a methodology some, very similar to what you described of like kind of getting into your head and kind of how do you, what you called it, self, what do you call it, self-rational something? Self-analysis. But I must say, though, that the main focus of the truth was the word of God. Amen. Yes, absolutely. You know, and, and also, like, you had to say things like, my value does not depend on my acceptance by other people. Truths like that, that, that when you're but you admit your pain and your sorrow and all of that. Yeah. And because of some of those scriptures are in there. Yeah, amen. And this, this process that, that you're coining rational self-analysis, I've, I've got a similar thing I'll talk about in a second. Um, and you alone with your Bible, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, where those scriptures are being illuminated, is incredibly valuable. Like, and I, I mean, the... The, the necessary good for you alone and a Bible, and maybe a piece of paper, cannot be understated. However, I don't think I could have done the work purely alone. Because it's incredibly hard to know when you, you're, you, we get out of calibration. We, we, we have to do this. We have, life has got to be lived in community. And I, I mean, I've said it a thousand times, but <coughs> when I was in the midst of all this, if, if, I didn't, if Kelly and I weren't married, and if Kelly wasn't particularly Kelly, by the way, today is her birthday. Happy birthday, sweetheart. Um, uh, it would have, I mean, it was a photo finish anyway, right? But I would have I come unwound, right? Kelly, whenever I was afraid, Kelly was not afraid. Or if she was, and I, I, don't, I think I'll probably go to my grave never really knowing but she always said she wasn't afraid, right? She always said, everything's fine, everything's going to be fine, I'm not afraid. And the mom was like, well, you should be, <laughs> because this is going to end badly, right? But she wasn't. And we would have conversation after conversation at 5 in the morning, right? So Kelly does not like waking up at 5 in the morning at all. But for this season, she was astonishingly gracious and accommodating, because I would wake up anxious, and just desperate to metabolize, desperate to like process, desperate to be desperate. And if I if I were alone, I don't know what I would. I really I don't I don't think it would have gone very well, right? Um, so yes, 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 a thousand times yes. You alone in a Bible, but also yes, yes, yes. You and somebody you trust, right? And probably truthfully, a whole bunch of people, because when you are like I was, you are just a burden. To one person, right? So spread it out, right? And I don't say that I don't I don't say that to threaten you or to make you feel less safe. I mean the reality is, no one person 
No one person, not even Kelly, could have borne the fullness of my need. I, was, I had a counselor. I'm in the scriptures. I've got friends. I've got other friends. I've got other friends. And I'm just like spewing all this angst, right? And if you take all that and you reduce it down to one person, or God have mercy to yourself, like you, that's not good. That's not going to work, right? So in anticipation of the day, cultivate healthy relationships, because the day may come, the day is coming, that you're going to need to have those people that are able to, like, bear with you, walk with you, be patient with you, not be afraid when you're afraid, right? Or at the very least, tolerate it when you are. Those things are just really necessary. Okay, what else? Other inputs on this? I need to say, that was a big part of, my, of, of all this for me. Counselors, God would always provide the counselor, but the friends... Because I'm, I was just an open book. Right. I had to get it out, and so exactly what you're saying—that that whole the community. If I didn't have the community and the friends I had, that I could—I mean, I, I would call people sometimes and just say, "I need to cry. Can I cry?" And they would just listen, and I would just cry and cry and cry, and then God would show me what He's doing. Like, and one time I said, "He's, He's." It is. And, and what, as you're being put back together, you use this language already, Catherine, but what, as you're being put back together, what's happening is your mind is being renewed. Because not only are lies persuasive, not only is fear an amazing liar, but as they repeat and those grooves get deeper and deeper and deeper, it becomes your reflective automatic thoughts, right? You just, it's very easy for me to think a set of thoughts because I've thought the set of thoughts 500 times. What's 501? What's 502? And each time the groove is deepened and deepened and deepened. And so it takes, I think, a pretty considerable effort of intentionality to break that pattern. Okay? So here's what I, in the last little bit of time we have, here's what I want to, I want to, something similar to the, to the document that Catherine described making. And I want you to, if you have a piece of paper, you can do it in real life. If you don't, you can imagine it. It's not that complicated, but you might need to go do it later. Okay? It's a piece of paper, and there's three columns, the whole thing. Like, just the whole eight and a half by 11. Column one, column two, column three. And across the top, it says ABC. Okay? Simple? You got it? Great big sheet of paper. There's an A column, a B column, and a C column. But they're not just A, B, and C. It's actually A plus B equals C. So A plus B equals C, three equal columns. And I recognize it would have been lovely if I took five minutes to make a PowerPoint slide that said this, but I didn't. So A plus B equals C. You got me? Okay. Now, beneath the A and the B and the C, you're going to write what those letters stand for. And the A is activating event. This is what Catherine called a trigger. Is your activating event. B, you know what B is? You guess? Belief. Belief. That's right. B is your belief or your belief system, but belief is great. So it's an activating event. There's a belief. And then the C is a consequence. That's what happens. Okay? And that consequence, you got to double tap this one. Your consequence is going to be often an inappropriate emotion or behavior. Okay? There's an activating event, gets filtered through your belief system, and it results in, or it has a, as a consequence, of an inappropriate emotion or behavior. Can you see it all? Got it in your brain? This is probably your life. Okay? 
problem is, here's what tends to happen. We think that the equation is this. A equals C, right? Something happened and now I'm mad. Something happened and now I act out in this way. Something happened and I'm flooded with sadness, at which point we say this, or more, more we probably do this one with anger, but has anybody ever said, you make me so mad? Yeah. That means A equals C. You, and now I'm angry. But the reality is the equation is not A equals C, it's A plus B equals C, and this B column tends to be invisible to us. Are you familiar with this? It might be more obvious if you think of anybody except yourself, okay? And you'll watch this, where something, some relatively benign stimulus happens, and it produces this deep sorrow, this rage, this fear, some other thing, or this behavior that, that, that plays itself out, okay? Now, most of us live in that world, and this, this thing happens, I mean, this happens fast, very, very often. Something happens, and boom, right? A, we just jump right into C. But the reason A seems to equal C so quickly is that B column is so often hidden, okay? Now, the thing in your B column, the thing in my B column is that your, now, I really should have made a couple slides. Now imagine a circle, okay? New page. Here's your circle. Circle is your brain. And that brain, I want you to see inside that circle, a bunch of T's and a bunch of L's. T's and L's, T's and L's, T's and L's. What are the T's and L's, you guys? <laughs> Truths and lies, okay? Your belief system is not entirely fraudulent. You believe all kinds of things that are true, and that's wonderful. But it is also not uh, in entirely pure, and you believe things that just simply are not true. And what we're trying to do in, in, in this exercise, one of the things that can be helpful to do is why is it, what's going on in my belief system, what am I believing that is, that is being added to the activating event that is producing this, this emotion or this, this behavior, okay? Now, if you're like me, it's probably like this. The behavior and the emotion, that's the obvious thing. That's what everyone can see, right? That's what's happening. And so very often in this process, it's good to start there, that you would look at this and you say, what? happened yesterday? Why did I get so sad, so mad? Why did I respond the way that I did? That's the obvious thing. You start in the C column, and then you might be able to get over here, but what, what happened before that? Oh, this. When I got the letter in the mail, I started yelling at my kids. Okay, well, what, okay, what happened here? What was going on? And if you can understand, this was the stimulus, this was the activating event, I know, I know exactly how it played out. Why? Slow the tape down. What, what am I believing? What happened in that moment? What do I believe about this? And those beliefs, your beliefs, are very likely to be stacked. There's not a belief. There's a belief behind which lies a belief, behind which lies a belief. And as we work our way through that stack, invariably throughout your belief system, there are things that are, that are accurate. This is the way the world is. This is true. This is accurate. And there are things that, that are not. This is a very generic tool, you guys, but it's, in my experience, it's incredibly powerful. And it, and it gives insight and meaning to an awful lot of my brokenness, okay? Now, let me pause right here. So far, so good. Are you getting all these categories? Now, when the world fell, we call it the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned and everything changed, I want you to, I want you to think about that what happened in the world was basically two main things. And more to the point, what happened to you 
are basically two main things. You became bad, and you also became broken. These are not the same thing. They relate, they interplay, but they're not exactly the same thing. Okay? So when I say bad, think sin. You began to exercise strategies contrary to the will of God. Okay? Sin, badness, um, you're guilty of doing wrong things. Okay? That you're going to pull the lever, you're going to be like, I know what God wants me to do, but I want to do this. It's the exaltation of self. It is the disregard of others. Sin. That's all part of your life. But it's not the whole part of your life. And that's not all that happened in the fall. The other thing that happened in the fall is that you broke. And what we meant that is not that you became a sinner, although you did. We just affirmed that. But you also became a sufferer. That you're liable to get cancer. You might trip and break your ankle. Your girlfriend might break up with you and make you very sad. Yea, even your wife might break up with you and leave you very sad. And the world is full of brokenness too. It's not always sin. Sometimes it's suffering. It's not always guilt. Sometimes it's grief. It's not just that you're bad. It's that you live in a world that is broken and you yourself are broken. Okay, so far so good? You getting some of these categories all in place? So let's back it up. A plus B equals C. There's an activating event. It is flowing through a belief system of which we might not be conscious and then it produces a consequence, an inappropriate emotion and behavior. Those beliefs right there in the middle, all that's going on there, is, is a mixture of truth and lies. And in that, in that kind of chaotic mess of truth and lies, you are both bad and broken. Some of those lies are lies that you told yourself to justify your behavior because you just want to do what you want to do, and so shut up about it. Leave me alone, right? There's a badness. I, I, amen? You get this, right? But there's also a brokenness. There's also a fragility or a tenderness, a longing to protect yourself that's not bad. But it's very likely that you are going to be drawn to use bad strategies to protect yourself and your fragileness and your vulnerability. I'm going to quit before you fire me. You know this phenomenon, right? I'm going to like, whatever. we make vows. Like if you know this concept of a vow, it's like if you hurt me badly enough in some particular way, then I can guarantee you I will never put myself in a situation where that can ever happen again. And I don't really care who gets hurt in the process because this is a vow. And nothing, I promise you, I will never do that again. Well, in the the keeping of rash vows, there's often a debris trail, right? Not just in our own lives, but in other people's lives, right? So it wouldn't be shocking if within some of your marriages that some of you have made a vow that you will never be vulnerable again in a particular way, and you've kept that vow, and the cost is higher, higher than you know, right? You get all, this is all that's happening. This is going on all the time in our hearts and our lives. So what we need to try to do is if we look at that belief system, if we're willing to do the work, maybe a little bit alone, maybe with somebody else that we, that's safe to us, whom we trust, then we can begin to do the work to say, this is what I believe. Some of these are T's. But some of these are L's. And how do I do the work to replace the lies, cross out the L, and, re- and replace it with a T? What do I do? And this, finally, at long last, is I think where God's word becomes of inestimable value to us. Because Romans 12, did anybody have Romans 12, 1 and 2 in their brain? You shout that out. Go loud, Bob. 
I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to set your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service for spiritual worship. Uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing your mind. Very good. So we don't want to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. When we're, the act of replacing T's with L's is the function of renewing our mind. There's something that I believe and it's not true, and I want to replace that lie with the truth. My mind is being renewed, and that source of truth that enables us to do this will be chiefly, perhaps not exclusively, but chiefly the Word of God, replacing the lies with the truth. This is, you guys, this is brain surgery. Okay? This is deep, deep work to replace the, these lies with truth. Okay, both you guys. Uh, um, I was just going to add to that Ephesians to um, put off your old self, which, is corrupt, which belongs to its former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Very good. Excellent. Same, same idea. And, and, and there's, although what's, what's, what's maybe more helpful that is there's the specific putting off of the old, right, and the replacing it with the new. The pra- to be to be more practical, even the practice not only of speaking the truth to you, but saying, um, "I reject that lie. I do not believe that," and then declaring the truth even as well. Because, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's, you, you want to know what it is that's being replaced too. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, so you can you can grab more fully a hold of it when you see it. That's right. And, can I, and in, this, in the same way that we unbraid our griefs, can we unbraid our our faulty thinking? Can we be like, ah, man, this seems true. Like, a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that seems true. And this, actually, this also occurs at levels. We'll talk about the levels of that in a second. But can I, can I specifically, like, denounce and distance and, I don't know, excommunicate the lies and, and, and make a conscious decision to embrace the truth? This is what we mean by stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. That's, the, that's kind of what that transition is. Do you want to add to that? Yeah, so I've done exercises like that, and I think one very important thing is to not be concerned that all the L's have to become T's, or even that all the T's need to remain there for your filter, because I think an important question is to ask, is this absolutely true, or do I know absolutely that this is true? Because some of those T's, they may be just more or less T's, like you're not so sure. Is important for that, and some of the L's, um, you don't need to replace them. Like maybe it's not favorable to you to get more truths to make the filter stronger or harder, or uh, because really you want to, to. This is your strategy, right? Your T's that you that you keep. You want those to be absolutely true um, and and favorable to you because you don't want suffering. You want to get past something. So if there are truths that may make things harder for you on the other side, and you're not absolutely certain that they're true, they don't need them. Okay, so let me make sure I understand what you're saying. And it's possible that we're in total agreement, possibly we disagree, but let me, I'm gonna check one thing. So within my belief system, we accept that there are some things that I believe that are true, some things that I believe that are lies. And my goal is, I would like my belief system to be 100% true. Jesus, Jesus believes all things that are true, but along the way, I think it is accurate that it doesn't need to be my top priority to replace every single lie before I do anything else. Um, kind of like, you know, I'd like my house to be clean. But if the area behind the cupboard has dust in it, I might not need to, like, tear the, tear the place apart to replace that if there's a higher priority, right? So 
I would agree that it's not the case that all that you do until you do anything else is replace every lie. If so, your children will starve to death in the meantime, right? There's work to be done besides simply doing that. But I don't think that it's ever, I don't think lies are ever advantageous. Do we agree? Not keep any of those. You can drop them without having to uh, necessarily find uh, something to, to replace them with. I think most importantly is the truths that you think are true that start with that person should do this or that person should not have done that and the shoulds. Sometimes the T's mm -hmm. are associated with shoulds that are probably better to drop those T's because those are not absolutely true. Okay, okay, this is good. And this is where, okay, what? Disguised as T's. Pardon me? I think he's talking about L's that are disguised as T's. Yeah, okay, lies that are disguised as truths. Okay, so when you have with the should, here's, this might be, uh, this is maybe where I, I maybe should have thought about a concrete personal example that I'm willing to share with you people. But um, the, because this tends to be pretty tender stuff, right? If we're doing this, it's like, this is actually, this could be, if you're doing this for real, like, you know, don't do this online, okay? Like, do this in a little private setting. Um, but the, the truths that I find I need to replace is not he should do this, she should do this. But they tend to be more higher, not higher level, more fundamental truths of like, is God going to provide for me? Is this, is this the way I'm supposed to live my life? Um, there, there, uh, I wish I had better, a better list of examples of the sorts of lies and truths that I have found be unhelpful to me. But I don't have the brain to do it. Oh, gosh, we're almost done. And I have one more thing I want to say to you before we get, before we get any further. But, okay, Lily, and then I'm going to steal the mic back. I think a really good example is what happens in our marriages because there are lots of things about our spouses that are true that are worthless to hold on to. There you go. Tommy never replaces the toilet. He does replace the toilet paper roll, but... For instance, or, right. Um, you know, or more meaningful things like um, this person, I find that they're untrustworthy in this way because they don't follow through in things that they've said. That's a big deal. But when I get spun up a little bit and I find that I'm repeating things about my husband that are true but not helpful or good or gracious, right. then... Recently, I was doing this, and I was like, Lord, what do I do with this? And he very graciously just told me, love him. Right. That, Excellent. It was, like, it was very free. And so, and so love keeps no record of wrongs. But the record of wrongs is probably true. But love doesn't keep it, right? And in the same way that God puts our sins from the east to the west, bottom of the sea, all this stuff, it's gone, forgotten. Like, how can an omniscient God forget things? That's weird. This is exactly what we're describing. There's some things that we don't need to kind of keep before us. There's a lot of stuff in the world. This is what we were saying earlier. It's truth, yes, but maybe not, maybe not the whole truth because I don't need to be constantly reminded of things that drag my soul down. Okay, here's the last quick thought, and then I'm going to go to Fetz, and then you guys get to go to church. Just one thing, and Catherine, you mentioned this also. I'll just draw this to your attention. If you're looking at, uh, if you're looking at Romans 12, if you're looking at Ephesians 4, is that where you're quoting? Is it Ephesians 4? I think it's Ephesians 4, but you can find it. It's... it's Wherever it is, another text you might just put into your brain as you're thinking through this A plus B equals C, how to replace the lies in my brain with truth. Here's 2 Corinthians 10.4. It says, the weapons we fight with yeah. are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Okay? Now, I want you to go back to your brain. That circle with the T's and the L's in it. You get a circle. You get a bunch of T's and L's trying to replace the truth with lies. But now at the bottom of the circle, draw like a castle turdy thing. You know what I'm talking about? How castles have that like zigzag line on top? And below that, you got more truth and lies. 
And what that is meant to suggest to you is there are parts of your brains that are behind a wall. And that, man, replacing the lies down there, that is no joke. Because these things are in, these are in deep, right? Um, you know, you've heard the stories of like, and perhaps you've experienced, like children that grow up kind of institutionalized, they learn to steal food because there's never enough. Yeah. And so then they get adopted into a wonderful family where there's abundance and wealth and riches of food. And what do they do? Steal food. They steal food. Because that is in their deep. They know that they know that they know that there may not be enough. Right? People that grew up in the Depression, like just hoard cash. Why? Because dark days are coming. Right? There's, this is just a truth. Right? So here's what he says. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. But he's not thinking about blowing up stones. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Remember that the lies of the enemy, the fiery darts of the evil one? Like, there is pretension. There is lies, okay? There are pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God, i.e. the truth. And so what do we do? We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When you find your mind falling into this like groove and it's just deepening and it's deepening, there is, there's a work to be done to fight. It is a battle, it is a war, and there's a stronghold, but can we do the work to really root out those lies that exist behind that wall? Because they, they exert an enormous impact on us, right? This isn't all because we're bad. It's also because we're broken that we're weak, and you are strategy makers. You have had to figure out, every one of you has had to figure out, how do you survive being a person like yourself in a world such as this? And some of those strategies have been really helpful to you. Well, in fact, they've all probably been helpful to you, or you would have abandoned them if they weren't. But they've also come with costs. And it might be, it probably is, that what got you here won't take you there. And if you're going to survive the next lap, it's probably the case that you need to abandon some old strategies and find some new ones, replace some lies with truth, go after the things in your belief system to get you through the things that God might bring you through yet. Okay? And we got to stop. Uh, wait, no, I told Andy that he had word, and then I lied to him. Andy? Okay, we'll pass it to Herrick, and then we're done. Go. But you got like 20 yeah, seconds. We heard Kelly, and we heard Lily, and we heard Bob, and everybody using the only offensive weapon that we have, and that's... And so memorizing scripture, you were asking for tools Amen. in times. Like just maybe you might not have your Bible with you. You know, maybe your phone doesn't have coverage. But when it's right here, yeah. it really helps. And God will give you the exact scripture you need well before you even need it. And, and, the, and the, Herrick is saying that there's so much value in memorizing scripture. And I would just say that the more Bible you jam into your head, the more ammunition the spirit has to use. It's much, you know, I mean, I suppose he can do whatever he wants, but by and large, he's going to bring to mind the things that are accessible to you. And so that's why we, we hide his word in our hearts so that it's available in the moment that we really, that we need it. Because the moment's coming. You preach the gospel to yourself, because mostly it's going to be the gospel. That's right. Kelly says, and that's why you preach the gospel to yourself, because mostly it's going to be a need to, to rehearse that, that story again. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks for coming. Ooh.